Welcome to episode five of Crossroads of Destiny and Avatar, the last Airbender Universe podcast. Right now, we're talking about every episode of Nickelodeon's Avatar, the last Airbender, one at a time. I'm Chad Hopkins, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andrew and Melanie Grant. How are you two doing? Awesome. Doing great. Good. Anything special happened over the last week since we last recorded? Well, we're in our third trimester officially. Mm-hmm. Woo, woo. Woot, woot. Andrew's still bald. Andrew's yes. still bald. <laughs> Excellent. Yep. Still looking good. Yep. No arrow there yet. No. I almost drew one on for you today. Yeah. I mean, you're not an airbending master yet, though. You still got a little bit more training to go. <laughs> or only on episode you six. You got to earn your arrows. Well, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Well, nothing real big happening in my life right now either. I mean, we're still working from school at the moment, virtually. And we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But, mm-hmm. well, there's one thing I want to address. I had a friend on Facebook. I haven't even talked to you guys about this yet. I had a oh, friend on Facebook who has listened to the show. Mm-hmm. His name is Matt Fletcher. And he said, Chad, every time you say Eero instead of Iro, it kills me a little bit inside. I and, was going to say something. And it's something that I was aware of. And it's because I say it, I flip flop. I've said it yeah. both ways no, multiple times. Yeah. And I don't know why I say Eero sometimes. Maybe it's just a habit from reading the word sometimes. But Perhaps. I'm going to make a conscious effort. In fact, somewhere in my notes for an episode we're about to record today, I wrote, I row in big caps to make sure <laughs> I reminded myself. So thank you, Matt, for calling me out. I needed it. it. Thank you. Um, and I will do better. <laughs> attempt to do better. Get it together, Chad. <laughs> oh, well. You are better than M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, it's my God. <laughs> you leave the man alone. Leave him alone. <laughs> You'll see. You'll see. It's fine. Especially because we'll probably be talking about it sooner rather than later because it covers the first season of the show. And so we'll talk about it after season one. Yep. So. All that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump into things. We are talking about book one, chapter six of the show called Imprisoned. It was directed by Dave Filoni, who also directed the first two episodes. It was written by Matthew Hubbard. It aired on March 25th of 2005. And this is yet another one that is animated by JM Animation. Here's our summary. Aang, Katara, and Sokka stop for some rest and some food and come across a boy named Haru practicing earthbending in secret. They learn that Haru's town is occupied by Fire Nation soldiers, and the adult earthbenders have been taken away. When Haru himself is taken after his secret is revealed, they formulate a plan to help Haru and his people learn to stand up for themselves. Poor Sokka. He tries with the food. He's he tries. Like, like, this is a nut. This is a round nut. This might be a rock. <laughs> <laughs> no one gives him any credit. They're like, no. seriously, there's no food. Well, keep in mind, too. He's from the Southern Water Tribe, where it's all ice and fish, yeah. and he's used to finding oh, fish, yeah. which are plentiful. And now he's completely having out of his to, element, having to forage for food. Yeah, <laughs> having to forage, not a thing. No idea how gotcha. to do it. So I mean, he's doing the best he can. Mm-hmm. He's trying. Anything else? Momo's an earthbender. Momo is an earthbender. That lemur <laughs> is oh, earthbending. My gosh, that was my favorite. <laughs> that was uh, I. I remember that epi- that part of this episode because it was just like. <laughs> that was the, that was an idea you decided to you speak aloud right <laughs> he's like no it's the girl and he's like yeah right <laughs> yeah this sort of like self right he has in that moment <laughs> that makes more There's sense like a little blush line that comes under his eyes too. i was just like oh my god i love uh, momo's blank face with like everything mm-hmm. whenever they like shoot his their attention to him he's just like <laughs> deer in headlights and appa is like my spirit animal because he was, he was just like, I'll make sure Appa doesn't eat all your hay. And Appa's just over there like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Continues chewing. As Continues I'm eating. Chewing. Yeah. 
we have a fun cameo in this episode, and Melanie picked up on it, which yeah. is great. What, so what? Who, who voices the commander of the, the barge, Melanie? George Takai. George Takai, Mr. Sulu from Star oh Trek. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> which we did not get one of those. I actually just talked about a movie on Cinescope not too long ago, Kubo and the Two Strings, that he voices a character in. Oh, uh, yeah. And there is an oh, my in, <laughs> in that movie. But not not here. But it's very distinctly George Takai. And so I'm glad that you picked up on it, Melanie. I looked over and looked for the dawn of realization. You said, pause it. And so we paused it for a moment while you thought about it. And we did not have to assist. So you good didn't. job. You didn't. <laughs> I am amazing. Thank you. Okay, Katara. <laughs> <laughs> I already told you I relate to this girl so much. Do not hate. Well, before we get into like discussion discussion, I thought it might be a good time to go ahead and revisit Melanie's predictions yeah. from last episode. So how did she do, Andrew? I think she did fairly well. The only thing was there's a bit of a, I think you were going for that just like when they were captured by Boomy that the Avatar gang was going to be imprisoned by the Earth Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Incorrect. Possibly learn more about Fire Kingdom. Not so much. Not in this episode. We do get to know that they've had control over the Earthbender for five years. Villages. And been using their coals. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was correct. A little bit more about the Empire in general. I'll, I'll give you that. The trio will begin to master the elements. Nope. <laughs> I mean, Katara Earthbender. Katara's an Earthbender now, of course. So give that one to me too. Aang will keep promise to start learning waterbending. Well, no, he did not do that. Nope. No. Nope. nope. Again, he was going on. It's like, that'll be fun. He's like, they, we don't want to get found out by the Fire Nation. He's like, but that's the fun of it. Oh, yeah. No. Never taking anything seriously, that ink. What I liked about this episode is that it was a little bit more Katara-focused mm-hmm. than on Anger Sokka. Just like Warriors of Kyoshi was a little bit more Sokka-focused than right. on anybody else. So we're, we're getting these individual character-specific episodes. Mm-hmm. And so you'd think we'd probably get some sort of maybe Zuko-related episode at some point or pick X character and give them an episode too. Right. And I, I like that they're not so dedicated to only following Aang and boosting his character. It's I appreciate that. Out. Yeah. And that just because we're focusing on another character that we don't even see the other characters. Right. Like, they're still there. They're still providing insight and hijinks as, as it may come. But we're still learning a lot more about Katara this episode. One more thing that I wanted to highlight before we get to the meat of the discussion is I've obviously watched a little bit further ahead uh, just because we're going to be recording more episodes today. Mm-hmm. And something I've noticed about the Earthbenders is that in most cases, they are barefoot. Because it strengthens their connection to the ground. And so Mm -hmm. we can talk more about that later when we see it again. Mm -hmm. But I noticed specifically in this episode that none of the earthbenders are barefoot. They all wear their shoes. And I guess that's a way to take away some of their power by the firebenders. Or for Peru, staying behind in his village, it's a way to disguise the fact that he's an earthbender. Because Hmm. you'd expect people to wear shoes unless they had a reason not to. Gotcha. Clubhouse. So that was just a thought. Even, yeah, I didn't even That's a that. cool thought. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Because I noticed it in our coming episodes over the winter solstice. And then I went back and I looked at the King of Amashu last episode just to double check. And all the earthbenders in King of Amashu, including Bumi, were barefoot. So Right. I do remember <laughs> Bumi being barefoot. Mm-hmm. So just something to keep track of, to look out for, because I think it is an interesting thing that they have a way to sort of strengthen their connection to the ground. Mm-hmm. They, they're obviously free to earthbend with their arms, but it adds in a new 
element <laughs> to use their feet as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this guy. Stop it. Okay. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. We see from the start that Sokka is still very cautious about things because when they see Haru, who is a teenager like themselves, mm-hmm. earthbending by himself in the canyon, Sokka's like, the kid looks dangerous and we should approach with caution. <laughs> and he's just like tossing around a boulder or two at the wall. It's like, what, what's dangerous about this kid? And Katara just walks right up to him and introduces herself like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Katara. And of course, he, he runs away. So he's being cautious. Which but- is strange, like from the get go, that we see such a flighty earthbender. I thought that was notable because it, it kind of already gives you like, I don't know who you are, but I know you're an earthbender. And based on what we know about earthbenders from previous episodes, they don't back down. They're not shy. Yeah. And then they're, you know, they're, they're the stand your ground, quite literally, kind of people. And so for him to immediately come up and be approached by a teenage girl and him just like take off, you're like, what the hell is that? What, what, what are you doing? Like, it didn't make any sense. It's only our second episode around Earthbenders, period. And we've already seen such a stark contrast between the Earthbenders we met in Omashu. These are clearly not as confident. These are people who have been oppressed for five years now. The way Haru tells it, their little town has been occupied by the Fire Nation for five years. And Mm -hmm. his dad has probably been missing for the bulk of that five years. You'd assume that they'd try to give revolution pretty quickly and then were subsequently taken away. And so this is a long time that Haru has been without his father, just like Katara. And so that's a strong identifying point for the two of them. You definitely feel like they connect over that fairly quickly within the episode. We also got the little bit of information, and it was something else they bonded over, that Katara's necklace that has the water symbol on it that we've seen her wearing all this time is from her mother. And we learned for the first time what really happened to her. She said I know. she lost her mother in a Fire Nation raid. That's what I was trying to think about. Whenever she initially mentioned that, I was like, is that something that they said in previous episodes? And I think she only said that her mother wasn't there anymore, like she passed away, Mm -hmm. not specifically what had happened to her. Yeah, I think they might have said something about the Fire Nation being involved. We knew she was dead, but we didn't know specifically what happened except that maybe the Fire Nation was involved. But here she specifically says that she was lost in a Fire Nation raid. And so that's something, again, that Haru and Katara are able to bond over and share a little bit of, like, an emotional connection over. When Haru is taken away, Katara feels responsibility in it because we saw that she was the one who sort of encouraged Haru to help the old man when he was being crushed by the rocks at the mine. How do you feel about the old man? I was so angry. I was so (laughs) mad. There may have been some profanity in the room. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Well, it's because he took the time. Homeboy would not have had, I don't know, life. Mm-hmm. Maybe just he could have lost his legs. But Haru helped him, despite knowing that it was forbidden for him to do so, to show her that he was an earthbender, and saved his life. And then old man over there was just like, cool, cool, cool. Um, he's over here to the Fire Nation and turned him in. I was really ticked off. Narc. I think Narc. People, I think people are scared, and he might have hoped for favor. In turning over Haru. You can hope. Yeah. That yeah. That was his intention. And I mean, we see how scared these people are when we get to the barge eventually, and we see how just sort of complacent everybody is to just live on the barge. Like, this is our lives now. Our I goal mean, is to survive. You even see Haru's mother like 
board the place up as soon as they mention earthbending. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not actually doing anything. They're just talking about it. And she's like, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope, none of that here. Nope, they're going to, something's going to, something's going to happen. And then, of course, Katara, what else could they take away? And she's like, my, my son, they can take away my son. And uh, Katara was not really thinking on that level yet. So we do get to the barge and we meet Haru's father. So small silver lining to Haru being captured in the first place is he's reunited with his father, who he hasn't seen in probably five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just want to mention that he is voiced by a well-known voice actor named Kevin Michael Richardson. A lot of people probably know him from like Lilo and Stitch. He voices Gan too, and a million other things, to be honest. But it's nice to hear a familiar voice actor. And these earthbenders on the ship are so afraid that they, they won't even risk fighting back. They, mm-hmm. Like I said, they're complacent. They are just mm-hmm. sat. I don't want to say maybe complacent is the wrong word. They were almost listless. Like there was no emotion. It's just like it's just that lack of will. The lack of will. There yeah. you go. They they don't want to do anything. They're he, you know Tyro sort of says is like there's there's no escape plan. We're we're here to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wait out the war yeah. and eventually hope to get back home. They're in it for the long haul and cause as few waves as possible. Make sure people are fed. People are warm. We're taking care of our elderly. We're in survival mode. We're not even talking about an attack right now. Which goes back to what you were saying on like how big a contrast there was between the earthbenders that we've come across already. How the other ones from Amashu were almost arrogant to a point with their powers and how powerful they were. And then you see the flip side of it and you see how they are on this barge and just are complacent now they're like this they're just accepting of what their fate is at mm-hmm. the moment yeah we even commented on how the people of umashu were almost slightly rude because ang had commented on how friendly they were at the beginning of the episode right. we saw how rude they were and we we said you know that's probably why they still are the way they are the why they're still able to make weapons for earthbenders and why they're still safe from the fire nation and then you have this village that is completely the opposite mm-hmm. but seeing these earthbenders kind of trampled by the fire nation and what's interesting, too, is the, sort of the cordial relationship that they have with the Fire Nation soldiers or guards on board. Tyro is made aware that they don't have enough blankets for everybody. And so he's very diplomatic about it. Take care of the elderly. I'll go and talk with the guards and we'll negotiate something. And it's like not a big deal. It's mm-hmm. like this is just our lives. And so everybody's friendly with each other because there's no they know that they can trust us to not stand up and rise up. Right. And that their needs would be met. Mm -hmm. as long as they keep the fire nation's job easy even though it's a cordial relationship it's far from necessarily friendly or like an actual relationship it's a necessary relationship right Mm. bending is so much a part of your identity and this is a point that katara makes throughout the episode as well that when you take it away or even imagine taking it away it it takes away a big part of who you are yeah her speech was really really beautiful and i knew at the end of it it was just gonna like Cricket, cricket, Fall cricket. On deaf ears. <laughs> and I was Man so coughs. yeah, like <laughs> I was like I was really bummed for her because I knew she felt she felt and believed in those words. Something I wanted to highlight was the lack of color once you get onto the barge. Mm-hmm. Everybody is in gray kind of and beige, beige and yeah. brown. And the only people who have any semblance of color are Haru with his green headband and he's mm-hmm. got his tunic still under his prisoner uniform, and then mm-hmm. Katara wearing her water tribe. Uniform. And those are the two who end up standing up to the Fire Nation first. And so it's nice that 
the people with the color still bring in like the positive outlook. They break through the bleak and the dreary and actually bring hope back into these people's lives. Something I wanted to mention is I think not only probably they were forced into submission in order for them to have been caught and imprisoned on the barge. But what was the name of the commander again? The I don't think we got the name of the right? commander. I don't remember his name. But the commander, I think that what they do is just to continuously break their spirits is they do verbal abuse on them too. Mm-hmm. Something that they take pride in, obviously, is their element and their earthbending because it's so powerful. He called it brutish savagery that you pass off as bending. So that's something that they, he like, it seems like that's something they hear a lot. He just demeaning comments all the time. So that, that alone can help break spirits. And that's something that we've hinted towards as well, talking about how the Fire Nation views their form of bending as superior to everybody else's. Mm-hmm. I did want to bring up the fact that I found it strange that instead of using... So the Fire Nation has taken over this village because they're producers of coal. Mm-hmm. And so it's not hard to imagine an earthbending colony as miners. Because you're moving dirt, you're moving earth to retrieve materials. But now they have all the non-earthbenders mining coal. And so I'm just like, so you've taken over this village because of its production of coal. But you've more than likely also now removed a lot of their productivity and efficiency because all all their earthbenders... (laughs) Or on a ship in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> it's certainly a lot less efficient. Made of made of metal that they can't bend. Right. You feel like they should have flip-flopped? I mean, granted, like, I get the point. The, there must have been some kind of situation where the earthbenders tried to take their, their village back over. And if you have a crew of earthbenders in a mine, they're surrounded. They're good. They're gonna, they're, they're well-armed at that point. So I understand, like, that piece of the logic but i was just like now you have some old dude in a, in a coal mine trying to get you all your coal to fuel your ships <laughs> that are harboring all of the earthbenders that were producing the coal in the first place how is this beneficial for anyone <laughs> like, right it, it definitely would have been more efficient to like maybe take the family members and hold them captive as motivation for the earthbenders to keep production high mm-hmm. i'm just saying whoa that's twisted <laughs> i he just voiced it i was already thinking it too <laughs> i do want to say at the end of the episode tyro says to take back our village to take back all of our villages so it's right. highly possible that there's there are other mm-hmm. earthbending villages that also produce coal mm. and so yeah. th- they, they might still have some earthbenders in production in those places that haven't tried to rebel that's a good point i also found it very amusing that it was just like we we focused on tyro haru and katara on the that one main ship at the end of the episode you see all the earthbenders on like six different ships and they're all like yeah and i'm like oh (laughs) when did we take over the fleet i guess that happened too (laughs) okay cool all right yeah no yeah let's go get all your villages back because it was just like wait i thought it was just the one no, all of them? Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Moving on. <laughs> I would imagine that when they first got to the barge, they were probably outnumbered by firebenders, like 10 to 1, mm-hmm. at least, to mm-hmm. intimidate and to quash any notion of trying to escape or rebel that they might have had when they first got there. And we see when Katara arrives for the first time, they send a guy into a week of solitary confinement just for coughing 
while Mr. Takai is monologuing. <laughs> yeah. So over time, it appears they've said, okay, the spirit in these guys is quashed. Don't have to worry about it. You guys go take care of other Fire Nation business elsewhere. The five of us have this under control. And obviously there's more than five of them, but there were like five of them in the yard and there were maybe like two or three on guard on the walls. And mm -hmm. so after they got rid of those in the yard, maybe the others fleed to, to escape after seeing the fate that their other Fire Nation members met, or maybe oh, yeah, it was just quick work to take care of the remaining people standing guard. Fair enough. Or even if you have firebenders on all those ships, like there's no telling what was on the other ships. That, that was my main point. I th yeah, think yeah. it's like all of a sudden we just, uh, the entire fleet is free <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, way to go Earth Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about the battle scene? Yeah, let's talk about the battle scene. Because that was the coolest one I've seen yet, I think. Really? Yeah. Okay, you like that more than Boomy versus Aang? A little bit. Okay. A little bit, because there was multiple people. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool how they all kind of like formed together and like simultaneously just like took out all of the Fire Nation that was there. That is something that's really cool about what we've seen in, from Earthbending so far is how in unison it can be and how the, the powers together combined can be even greater. Like when they first make that wave, uh, Tyro makes a wave to protect his son mm -hmm. from being attacked by the captain. Mm -hmm. And then the other vendors join in. Their, their movements are one and the same in creating an additional wave to push forward and attack. Yeah. It was super cool. And then you even made a comment, Melanie, when uh, they took the coal into like a large form and then they used their bending to like crush Fuse it, it into together. Like a denser ball. Compress it. And then throw it into the, the wall to actually break through because the coal itself wasn't going to be capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. And so like as it shrunk and in, increased in density, you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, because again, it's one of those things that's like, we're learning what earthbending is and you're not necessarily aware like are you just moving it but no like they're like technically if you worked hard enough you could be making diamonds out of that coal because they're earthbending they're, they're yeah, literally you're manipulating crushing it, it mm -hmm. and manipulating it in many different ways i mean and you also see that as haru in an earlier scene he's just like i'm really connected with my father and he's spinning rocks in his hand and then he grabs them and then sand comes out of his hand and you're just like Okay, and we like pick up on these little tidbits of what earthbending is, and that you're not just moving rocks, you're not just you know kind of moving this here to there. You can like change its form, you can do more with it. And so I think it's really fun that every time we see a new battle sequence, we see more of these little details on what are they capable of. And mm -hmm. I think that's always a great part of the show that I really love. Yeah, it's some continuations of what we saw Boomy hint towards in the battle with Egg in the last episode where he is able to manipulate things that like come crashing at him or form quicksand out of the ground underneath Aang's feet. And then even how the Water Nation, how they're able to manipulate the, the form of matter that water comes in as well. We've seen Katara freeze. We've seen Katara manipulate snow, which is a form of water, obviously. Mm -hmm. So that's all really cool. And something that we've also sort of talked about a little bit about is how representative the the actual martial art of I bending know. is so connected to the element that you're you're manipulating like firebending is very clearly kind of rage based at least in some aspects the, the firebending we've seen has been very rage based and kind of rooted in emotions a little bit more than water bending or air bending has for ang mm -hmm. and then obviously the little very little water bending we've seen is very fluid air bending it's all about circular motion and evasion earth bending is all about Defense. like heft 
and weight having and that base and connection with exactly the ground. yeah yeah because there's there's that moment that <laughs> andrew actually mined through when yeah. when tyro lowered the the <laughs> little coal island that the firebenders were on into the ocean he like raises arms over his head and then pushes it down and it's not like a simple motion it's like I'm grabbing all of this and then I push it. It's like there's some resistance mm-hmm. there. Like mm-hmm. he's actually feeling the earth in his fingers, even though it's distant from him. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It was really cool. And it's all about like he's coming to his center and he's pushing it down further to his core. So it's like all of this is all of that motion is like just a, a greater symbol of coming back into a home state. Like he's coming into his center. And that's the end of the battle. He's just like, and we're done. There isn't <laughs> anything else going on. Like, I mean, and he, and he ends it there. And I think it's more about him, like, coming to that, that point. I can swim. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, there were a couple other cool things that we saw during that fight that weren't earthbending necessarily. We saw Aang create that air tunnel that was like a machine gun with coal, which is really awesome. <laughs> I loved how they like he's like, give me some coal. And then <laughs> right. they like two little three little pebbles, and then they're like gave him a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. And then uh we actually saw Sokka in action a little bit. He was running yeah. around with his boomerang, slicing some spears, tossing them in the air. Uh Momo yeah. came with by the and assist? was picking, yeah, yeah. They're coming in now. clutch. <laughs> they went from snack. To, to friends. Yeah. Oh, because he wanted to eat him. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. And I think we finally, I mean, we don't actually get to see him do it, but you start to see that there's a method to what Sokka is capable of. And a lot of it wasn't, it wasn't like taking down people. It was disarming, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a, an important thing to point out mm-hmm. that he may not have like incapacitated one or two people, but the five or six people that were fighting against them, now don't have their spears right so, and that and that make creates a safer environment for the rest of them to come back and finish the battle as a non-bender he was able to contribute to the best of his abilities and right. have a part in the battle mm-hmm. the last thing i really had to say was something about katara when she did the fake earth bending in order to be captured and go find haru she was essentially sacrificing herself she didn't know what was going to be waiting for her mm. on the other side of that imprisonment. So that was a really bold move of her to try and follow through with this guilt that she had mm-hmm. on getting Haru captured by the firebenders to begin with. And then you see her faith in these people. It's admirable because she has more faith than they do. Right. And she is so outnumbered. She could be incapacitated by the firebenders, and she's clearly not a very strong waterbender. Plus, she's in the center of this barge where there isn't going to be any water. She can waterbend anyways. And who knows how the earthbenders might react if they see her as a threat to their survivability in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot on the line for Katara to sort of sacrifice herself and try and have this rescue attempt. I think with the commander, too, he thought for a second that Katara was going to be possibly a threat that's why whenever she was giving her speech in the middle of the episode the other soldiers were ready to like go and take her and stop her and he was like no wait because he wanted to see what what would happen Mm -hmm. and then whenever she finished and he saw that nobody rallied up with her nobody wanted to continue on with her and and fight then he was like okay yeah it was almost like i was right to not be threatened by you 
Yeah, and then he just waits. He waits it out. Like, let's see what happens. Oh yeah. Oh look, no one, no one's fighting. No one cares. Hmm. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) And he has a line where he says, "You're one mistake away from dying where you stand." This man is ready to kill some children. Yeah. I mean, and you also don't know, like, more to your point earlier, it's like, Katara got on the ship. She could have been the one that coughed. When mm-hmm. Aang and, and Asaka came for her, she might have been in solitary confinement in the, middle, in the middle of a barge and never even gone to see Haru or any of the earthbenders. Mm-hmm. Makes it a little bit reckless. She had no plan. She no. didn't know what, was, what they were capable of, what they were doing. It was all trying to get information and she was just hoping that she would be able to be rescued after the fact. Yeah. And even, even then their plan was to find Haru and save Haru. I don't think they expected the people to be there Mm, in that capacity and for them to not be willing to put up a fight for themselves. And so it it made it even riskier that she said, we're not leaving now. We got to stay. We got to help these people. I got to help these people. Yeah. I really admire Katara's passion and her bravery in this episode, it's, it's a real testament to her character that she is able to put so much at risk in order to do what she believes is right for Haru and his people. I don't know how to, how to treat it because it feels like a great pun, but at the same time, it also feels like very creative character development where Katara is really good at creating ripples. Mm-hmm. And turning those ripples into waves. So you can like have this play on words like, oh, you know, Katara likes to rock the boat or <laughs> create waves. God, that was so painful. <laughs> but in all reality, like if you think through the episode, it took them a while. Like she had to talk to them multiple times and all of these impassioned speeches and addressing the crowds and things like that. You know, at first it, it seemed to have fallen on deaf ears, but maybe there was a bit of a stirring at that point that, you know, maybe we do need to do something. Yeah. And then the next time it's a little bit more. And then the third time we finally get Haru involved. And then from there, everyone else, everyone else comes. Yeah. You could say the first ripple was her talking to Haru about how important her bending is to her and how it's a connection to her people mm-hmm. and that was like the first drop in the pond. Exactly. And that connected later when Haru was the first one of the earthbenders to stand up after the warden kind of crushed Katara's hopes. And that, that's his name, by the way. It's the warden. It all flows together. <laughs> Stop okay. it. Is there anything else about the episode content? The final thing, I suppose, is that Zuko shows at the very end. I like freaked out. <laughs> I was like, oh, he has the necklace. Yeah, because Katara realizes her necklace is gone and Zuko, Zuko finds it. He Zuko has there. a necklace. He knows. I did write down, this is, I think, from this battle, it was showing the first instance of um, where the Fire Nation is kind of starting to lose control of all of the, all of the commands that they have because now that the, all of the earthbenders are free. They're like, okay, let's go do this. And I was like, uh-oh. They're starting to lose their foothold in the Earth Kingdom. Yeah. And it just it will domino effect from there, I'm sure. Astute. Astute. Astute observation. Thanks. Zuko. How did he get there so quickly? That's a good question. He's very, clearly very good at tracking. Sneak a snake. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you are such a moron. <laughs> 
Oh my god, sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so let's finish off by getting into Melanie's predictions for the next episode. Predictions. We have a two-parter coming up next, I actually. And we're going to record them in two separate episodes because reasons. Because reasons. The very first episode is Winter Solstice Part 1, and it is titled The Spirit World. Ooh. Are we going to see some of Aang's past lives? Mm. That is a possibility. Spirit World. Will we find out what happened to some of his friends from other, the other elements? Friends, non-Avatar friends? Like yeah. before Frozen and the Iceberg Friends? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what do you think about the winter solstice? Like, what do you think okay. that date would have? The 21st, the longest night of, December 21st is the longest night of the year. You just dropped the casual knowledge of the yeah, date of the like, winter solstice. Right, like, it was nothing. <laughs> do not, people not know that? I didn't. I don't think. Well, now you know, everybody. You learned something from this podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, winter solstice. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. That's something I would be curious to think about a little bit more. So, what happens during the winter solstice? So, awkwardly enough, the only thing I know about the winter solstice is what I already said. It's the, short, it's the shortest day of the year. Longest night of the year. So, what about the winter solstice? Do you know? That it's the longest night of the year. Okay. So that means it's also the shortest day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is all I'm going to give you. Okay. Well, that gave me nothing. <laughs> I'll think about it. I don't have to give you anything. I'm just saying maybe that might mean something at some point. Mm. Maybe. Well, I also want to say that the solstice is a date. Is not like some wishy-washy future. It is a specific day and time. And so, okay, never mind. <laughs> you guys are really trying, and I'm like, I feel kind of like a moron. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, just, I feel like are... you're there, but you're just not. Well, the only thing I can think of is it's in winter, and mm-hmm. it's cold. Mm-hmm. So I would think we would kind of go back to the water tribe, maybe. Maybe, okay. Maybe, so the... Winter solstice has something to do with the water tribe. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. We'll be watching our next episode shortly mm-hmm. and then recording our next episode shortly. We're recording three episodes today, everybody. Yeah, we are. And yeah, we are. Our goal is not to get too far ahead of everything because we, we want to be able to react with all of you in real time when you give us feedback. So the lesson here is to give us feedback so we have stuff to mention in oh. the podcast. Mention our one feedback guy from Twitter. Oh. Yeah, we did have some interactions from Twitter. We had Angel on Twitter who tweeted me and said, it's, it's funny to imagine Andrew in my poker face trying not to spoil Melanie for the future. <laughs> uh, and he complimented your ideas, Melanie. He, he said, did. You have really good theories and ideas. Sometimes they're wrong, but they have good logic. And that's the, the good thing about theories is that you're getting to them from a logical point. Mm-hmm. And then there was... Jai Bereoidin, I don't know how to pronounce your name, I'm sorry. Jay, or Jai, he listened to the Office podcast as well and uh, has come over. And so I'm grateful that people who have listened to my previous work found enough value to check this out as well and are finding value in the three of us talking together. And so thank you all. We'd love to hear from more of you. And we'll get to all of our contact information in just a moment. So that's the end of the fifth episode of Crossroads of Destiny. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash xroadspod at xroadspod on Twitter. 
If you could help us out, it'd do us a huge favor if you went to Apple Podcasts and left us a rating and a review. That helps us to be exposed to a wider audience. Something I'm really proud of is if you search Avatar The Last Airbender on Apple Podcasts right now, we're not that far down the results page. So we'd love to move up a little bit further on that page with your help. If you have feedback or ideas, you can email us xroadspod at gmail.com. And nobody has left us a voicemail yet, so it's a race to see who's going to be first. There might be a prize. I don't know. Um, maybe. Yeah. I mean, we've got stickers, everybody. We do have so stickers. So you're welcome. So we'll see what happens with that. But if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can call 3145-YIP-YIP. That is 314-594-7947. If you keep it around a minute and keep it direct and give us something good to talk about, we'd love to play it on the show. Melanie, where can people find you online? On Instagram, it's MelanieAmanda44. Feel free to reach out. Andrew doesn't use personal social media, like, ever. Nope. (laughs) But he'll be keeping an eye on the X-Roads Pod Twitter account, so be sure to interact with us there. And obviously the best place to find me is on Twitter as well. That is at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. You can find my other podcast, the Cinescope Podcast, at Cinescope Pod on Twitter thecinescopepodcast.com and where you can find podcasts and same with an American workplace, which is my office discussion podcast. You can find it on Twitter at workplace pod and at workplacepodcast.com. And the website for this show is xroadspod.com. Xroadspod everywhere. That's how you can find us. <laughs> so thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. We will be talking to you in episode six when we talk about book one, chapter seven, the winter solstice part one, the spirit world. Yes. Bye everybody. Thank you.